Salvete omnes, welcome to the AP Latin Podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's De Bello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati, eamos. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 9b, Aeneid Book 1, Lines 520-538. to In this episode, you will listen to Ilioneus talk, and you will listen to Ilioneus talk. Post quan tro gresset coram data copia fandi, maximus Ilioneus placido sic pectora coipit. O Regina, noam cui condara Jupiter urbem, justitiaque dedit gentes frenare superbas, troes te miseri ventis mari omnia vecti, oramus, prohib infandos a nauibus ignes, parque pio gener et propius res aspice nostras. Non, nos, aut ferro libicos populare penates, venimus, aut, raptas ad litera vertera praedas, non ea vis animo nec tanta superbia victis. Est locus, hesperiam grae cognomine dicunt, ter antiqua potens armis at cubere glaibae, o inotri coluera viri, nunc fama minores italiam dixisse ducis de nomine gentem. Ic cursus fuit. Cum subitad surgens fluctu nimbosus orion in vada caeca tulit penitusque procacibus austris, per cunda superante salo per quinvia saxa dispulit, huc pauci vestris ad nauimus oris. After they entered and the opportunity of speaking face to face was given, greatest Ilioneus thus began from his peaceful heart. O Queen, to whom Jupiter has granted to establish a new city and to reign in the proud nations with justice. We wretched Trojans, having been carried across all the seas by the winds, beg you. Keep unspeakable fires from our ships, spare our loyal people, and consider more closely our affairs. We have not come either to lay waste to the Libyan Penates with the sword or to turn stolen plunder to the shores. This violence does not exist in our mind, nor is there such haughtiness for the conquered. There is a place, the Greeks call it Hesperia by nickname, an ancient land powerful in arms and fertility of soil. Oenotrian men cultivated it. Now the rumor is that their descendants call the people Italia after the name of their leader. Here was our course, when suddenly, rising up from the waves, cloudy Orion carried us onto the blind shoals, and with the bold south winds deep within scattered us both through the waves, with the salt conquering us, and through pathless rocks. We few have sailed here to your shores. Last time, Aeneas was marveling at all the cool stuff he was seeing in Carthage when Queen Dido entered the scene. Then, Aeneas was marveling at all the cool stuff Dido was doing when some Trojan survivors entered the scene. Aeneas had decided to keep himself hidden inside his invisibility mist cloak and see what happened. This section is the beginning of Ilioneus' speech to Dido, begging her for aid, or at least to not kill them all. The tone of Ilioneus' address to Dido is that of a suppliant. His language reflects the lowly state that he and the Trojans are in, calling themselves miseri, piogeneri, wictis, and pauci, 
and saying that they only ended up here because of the horrible misfortune of the storm they encountered while heading to their ultimate goal, Italy. Ilioneus does his best to make it clear that they have no ulterior motives in mind other than to seek what aid Dido is willing to give, claiming that violence and plunder are not on their minds. Virgil is able to slip some exposition into the conversation. Since Dido is hearing about the Trojans' ultimate destination for the first time, we get to learn a little about it as well. We learn that the land is called Hesperia by the Greeks, which literally means the West. We learn that Oenotrians originally cultivated the land, and nobody really knows where the Oenotrians came from. But according to Dionysius of Halicarnassus, a contemporary to Virgil who wrote a history of Rome up to the First Punic War, Oenotria was named after Oenotrus, one of the sons of Lycaon. Lycaon is a whole other figure in Greek mythology, and he's not really related to the story except for possibly through Oenotris. But basically, Lycaon had wanted to test the limits of Zeus's knowledge, and so he decided that the best way to do this, obviously, would be to kill one of his own sons, invite Zeus to dinner, and serve his son to Zeus as the main course at said dinner. Well, you can probably guess how well that turned out for Lycaon. Zeus figured it out, resurrected the poor kid who got cooked for dinner, and turned Lycaon into a wolf as punishment. And at some point after that, apparently, Oenotris made his way from Greece to Italy, where he ultimately settled, maybe. We also learn that Italy has good land and strong people, and that the people there call it Italy, after the name of one of their leaders. The leader mentioned here was named Italos, a mythical king of the Oenotrian people, And this tradition goes back to at least as far as the Greek historian Thucydides, writing in the 400s BC, but it is reported by Dionysius of Halicarnassus as well. The language Virgil uses in Ilioneus' speech has several parallels to statements he made about Carthage earlier in Book 1, lines 12 through 20. Est locus parallels urbs antiqua fuit. Oenotri coloera viri parallels tirii tenuera coloni. Potens armis at cubera glybi parallels dives opum studiis quasperima belli. Hic cursus fuit parallels hic curus fuit. Minores parallels progeniem, and Italiam ducis de nomine gentem parallels Troiana sanguine duci. This many linguistic and thematic parallels is not coincidental. So Virgil is intentionally calling your mind back to his earlier description of Carthage and the prophecy in connection with Carthage, that Trojan descendants were fated one day to destroy Tyrian citadels. Here we have the first meeting of Trojan and Tyrian setting up that fateful future event. Virgil's language subtly calls your mind back to this. By doing this, Virgil also invites you to see the parallels between Dido and Aeneas' origin stories. Both were living happy lives and married, both lost their spouses. Aeneas in the sack of Troy, and Dido by her greedy brother. Both had to gather a group of refugees and flee their homeland. Both went in search of a land to found a new city. And Dido is fulfilling this job right now, even as Aeneas is trying his best to do the same. Next time, Ilioneus will continue his speech to the queen, and we will see how she responds. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. Ilioneus' first sentence to the queen characterizes the relationship of the Trojans to Dido. What is this characterization, and what words does he use to emphasize it? Ilioneus' first words to Dido associate her and Carthage with Jupiter. What is the basis for making this connection? Can you recall an earlier mention of this in Book 1? 
Ileoneus devotes six lines to a depiction of the Trojans' current pitiable condition. What specific words does Ileoneus use that are calculated to raise Dido's sympathy for their plight? Ileoneus' description of their destination, Hesperia, focuses on the land and its people. How does he characterize them? How is the language of Ileoneus' speech meant to recall to your mind Virgil's first mention of Carthage and the prophecy surrounding the city? Gratias ago pro auscultando, valete.